0: This program's about the impossible. There's a good chance that you believe in the impossible. In 1967, Dr. George Wald won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Dr. Wald said When it comes to the origin of life, there are two possibilities creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago. But that led us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. This Nobel Prize-winning scientist rejected the science that God had to be the creator of life. The only possible explanation For you. Me, I'm a Christian because I don't believe in the impossible. Stay tuned and let's explore the universe as it really is. I'm Paul and this is CYKIAE. You want to adopt a child, a particular child, but the child has parents. Bother. So think out of the box. Have the parents murdered so you're not caught. Hire a good hitman, it's worth it, and then adopt the child. If you're more conventionally minded and wanted a child, not the traditional way, you could buy a sperm and or an egg and perhaps get a surrogate mother doesn't matter which way you go, murder or sperm egg donation. The result's going to be the same for the child. Devastating. The difference between adoption, where the child needs a family to look after it, compared to intent-based parenting, that is, where the adults want children for their own selfish purposes and will buy a child using a third-party egg or sperm purchase without any regard to what the child might want if it was possible to ask a sperm or an egg what they wanted. The starting position is that studies over many decades have shown that no child wants to be brought up into this world where, by the design of the adults who plan to bring the child into the world from conception, it won't be living with its biological mother and father. That is totally unacceptable and inhumane. For the reasons covered in the previous programs, what the planned child would want is a no-brainer. The choice is between growing up with its biological parents and having the best shot at happiness, or if the biological parents aren't around or able to parent due to circumstances beyond anyone's control, being adopted by very carefully vetted people who are thoroughly checked to make sure that they're the best thing for the child and that's the next best thing to being with biological parents. The absolute worst option is having one half or both halves of the child, egg or sperm, bought like those slaves that used to be sent to America from Africa in the 1700s, merged to make a fertilized egg and then in Planted into a woman's womb, the biological mother, or a surrogate. Then being handed to a single person, but more usually a couple, of different sex, or even the same sex, that have paid for you. Because right now, in that moment, he, she, or they think that they want a child. Intended parents are a way worse outcome than step-parents, which I looked at in parts 9 and 10 of this series, and we know that step-parents rarely end as well for the child as having its biological parents. The differences of these and their significance are vitally important to the child. Listen to Millie Fontana, an Australian girl.
1: My name is Millie Fontana. I'm 23 years old, and I am a donor-conceived child of lesbian parents. I stand here with support from all three of my parents. This is a testimony that is (laughs) safe to say unheard of because nobody wants to hear about the other side of the rainbow, the side that is not catered for, that don't grow up happy and grow up with a dissenting idea of what a family structure should be. Growing up, I wanted a father. I felt it within me that I was missing a father before I could even articulate what a father was. I knew that I loved both of my parents, but I could not place my finger on what it is I was missing inside myself. When I hit school, I started to realise through observing other children and their loving bonds with their fathers that I really was missing out on something very special.
0: In the adoption process, the interests of the child up for adoption is the only consideration. The standards required for adults to be allowed to adopt a child should be the nail in the coffin of any thought of allowing legalized intent-based parenting to continue, which tragically is already legal. Intent-based parenting Almost 100% of the time means that people who get a fertilised egg through commercial big fertility, egg sperm donations, maybe surrogacy, are people who would be rejected as suitable parents for adoption, sometimes immediately, like convicted pedophiles or other sex offenders. If they're not suitable adults to adopt a child, They clearly should not be allowed to manufacture a baby from sperm and an egg that they buy. It's more complicated than that, though, and everything, absolutely everything, is against allowing this practice to continue. A child up for adoption has been born in the usual way, but due to circumstances, finds itself without parents. The child needs someone to step into their shoes, The adopting parents aren't responsible for the child not having its parents, but they're going to have most likely an incredibly challenging time being the best they can for that child to give what they can to plug that gap in the child's lives. Adoption isn't easy, but it's necessary. Buying a baby isn't necessary. In buying a baby, The person or persons paying to have that child created just for them is deliberately robbing the child of one or both parents. The buyers are the customers of big fertility, not the child as happens with adoption. The manufactured child will have to live its entire life having a connection with the person or people who deliberately robbed it of one or both of its biological parents. Millie was deprived of her father, and you've heard her speak very eloquently about her pain. The customers of Big Fertility are part of the problem, not part of the solution, as the adopting parents are in an adoption. Big Fertility won't turn away any customer that can pay for a baby. Adoption agencies turn away many, perhaps most, applicants for a child to adopt, You heard some of the shocking stories about children created using surrogacies for some of the most evil men you could imagine in the last part of this series. Article 9 of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child provides that states' parties shall ensure that a child shall not be separated from his or her parents against their will, except when such separation is necessary for the best interests of the child. This seems to make illegal creating children from third-party egg and or sperm donations. Adoption is the last resort for a child whose birth parents have failed to demonstrate the ability to parent or who are dead or missing. It's the solution of absolute last resort for children because social workers know that separating children from their birth parents with a fair degree of tolerance as to just how Bad the parents are, almost always results in lifelong pain and feelings of loss. Adoption as a way of furthering the best interests of children without parents or suitable parents has been around since the mid 19th century. The negative impact of a child's separation from its biological parents is so widely understood that many adoption agencies provide instruction for adoptive parents to Equip them as they support their grieving adopted child. This post on Facebook by adopting mum Tia Hansen on 4 October 2016 is typical. My oldest 11 has said periodically that she misses her birth mum for as long as she could speak it. Our response has always been in line with, of course you do, because you were designed to be with them both of them. So your ache is real and legitimate. We'll do this together and we'll never leave you. But we know your ache is real, baby. But you don't have to live there because we have a great guard that puts us in your life as the divine plan B. The preamble to the Hague Convention on protections of children and cooperation in respect of inter-country adoption provides that Each state should take, as a matter of priority, appropriate measures to enable the child to remain in the care of his or her family of origin. But contrast, for example, Washington State's Uniform Parentage Act of 2018, which legalizes surrogacy and allows intent to be the basis of parenthood, not biology. This means that children are able to be separated from one or both biological parents, not because of their parents failing as in adoption, but because their intended parent deliberately breaks their relationship to their biological parents. Unlike what typically happens with adoptions, where the adoption agency gives instructions to adopting parents about the difficulties their adoptees are going to have Because they're separated from their biological parents, big fertility does nothing about this well-known, serious and damaging side to what they're doing. The adopted child is there and something has to be done for it. The child from big fertility doesn't exist to start with and should never be created to suffer the lifelong pain of separation that surrogacy, sperm and egg donation causes. The Institute for American Values researched outcomes for children born from egg or sperm donors. The research is called My Daddy's Name is Donor. It looked at 485 adults between 18 and 45 years old conceived from sperm donors. They also looked at 562 adults who were adopted and 563 adults raised by their biological parents. It said this, 53% of donor-conceived children agree. I have worried that if I try to get more information about or have a relationship with my sperm donor, my mother and or father who raised me would feel angry or hurt. In adoption, social workers never casually place a child with biological strangers, because statistics show living with an unrelated adult increases the risk that a child will experience abuse, neglect and abandonment. These risks are there even when the adult intends to parent the child. Intending adopted parents have to go through a long process of screening, training, and once they're given the adopted child, they continue to have post-placement supervision. Someone coming out to the home to make sure that the child stays safe and well. That's nearly 200 years of hands-on experience that has taught that that's absolutely essential. But for modern surrogacy, sperm and egg donation, none of that happens. In Washington state, under its surrogacy laws, you don't need anything more than wanting to be a parent, intent to parent, as they call it. It requires none of the safety measures for the child that adoptive parents are subject to despite the fact that intended parents are biological strangers. In the last part of the series, I told you about Mark Newton, an Australian, and Peter Truong, sex offenders, both of them. They brought a baby and then perpetrated massive and scarcely believable sexual abuse of their day's old son. In that part, I also spoke about other examples of the monstrous abuses that happened to these children that could never happen to adopted children. Donor-conceived children suffer far more than adopted children. They know that their daddies just ejaculated into a container for some money. And their biological mum, probably a young university girl, uh, sold her eggs to buy that new dress or buy things to play on TikTok. Devastating. Your biological parent literally didn't care for you at all. You were sold as a commodity. Almost invariably, we know that manufactured children are profoundly unhappy. We know that that's inevitable. We know that children from broken homes are profoundly messed up since no default divorce. But now we're bringing children into the world who are going to be even more broken because of the clinical way in which they're being made. Article 21d of the Hague Convention on Protections of Children and Cooperation in Respect of Intercountry Adoption sets out the obligations of states when children are being adopted from one country to another. It says, States parties that recognize and or permit the system of adoption shall ensure that the best interests of the child shall be the paramount consideration and they shall take all all appropriate measures, to ensure that in inter-country adoption, the placement does not result in an improper financial gain for those involved in it. Article 35 says that states' parties shall take all appropriate national, bilateral, and multilateral measures to prevent the abduction of, the sale of, or traffic in, children for any purpose or in any form. The Hague Adoption Convention of 1994, ratified by more than 100 countries, was put into place to address the potential moral dangers in situations involving adults desperate for a baby preying on vulnerable birth mothers. The convention specifically prohibits payment to a birth mother in return for her giving up her child. This same outcome can now be achieved legally, Using surrogacy and donated eggs and sperm. Since it's governed by law, things can get tricky even if you're an expert player, as the example of Teresa Erickson shows. Reporter Alyssa Newcomb reported this story for the US ABC News on 24 February 2012 in an item entitled Two San Diego Women Sentenced in Baby Selling Case. Teresa was a reproductive rights lawyer and an entrepreneur of the kind that this whole industry encourages. She and her team recruited surrogates and flew them to Ukraine. Back in those days, Ukraine was a peaceful country with incredibly slack surrogacy laws. Teresa's business model was to impregnate her women with a fertilized egg. When her surrogates entered their second trimester, She'd approach people who wanted to be parents, offering them the baby. The made-up story was that the original parents had backed out and she needed to find new parents. That was a lie. Teresa's crime wasn't selling babies to non-biologically related adults, which is what Big Fertility is very much about. Her crime was one of bad timing. Surrogacy contracts have to be signed before conception. At that point, there's no baby to sell. But Teresa's business model had the contract signed after conception, so there was a baby. On either scenario, this child is going to suffer from genealogical bewilderment, recognition that it's just a commodity, and trauma from the loss of its mother and father. Article 4 of the Hague Adoption Convention of 1994 provides... An adoption within the scope of the Convention shall take place only if the competent authorities of the state of origin have ensured that the persons, institutions, and authorities whose consent is necessary for adoption have been counseled, as may be necessary, and duly informed of the effects of their consent. In particular, whether or not an adoption will result in the termination of the legal relationship between the child and his or her family of origin. Such persons, institutions, and authorities have given their consent freely in the required legal form and expressed or evidenced in writing. The consents have not been induced by payment or compensation of any kind. The Washington Uniform Parentage Act institutionalizes all forms of surrogacy, and allows a mother to be paid to surrender her child. In many cases, the only difference between child trafficking and surrogacy contract is timing, as Teresa found out to her regret. Obviously, to the child being sold, the timing of the contract makes no difference. Its life is going to be changed, for the worse, until it's dying day. The Hague Convention, Article 8, provides that State parties undertake to respect the right of the child to preserve his or her identity, including nationality, name, and family relations as recognized by law without unlawful interference. Article 9.3 provides that state parties shall respect the right of the child who is separated from one or both parents to maintain personal relations and direct contact with both parents, on a regular basis, except if it is contrary to the child's best interests. Unlike the old way of handling adoptions, which were what were called closed adoptions, where the identity of the mother and father were kept secret from the child, most modern adoption practices are overwhelmingly open, where the child is informed of the identity of its parents because children benefit from as much connection to their biological family as possible. Avoiding the separation of brothers and sisters is one reason that those who are willing and able to adopt siblings are given priority where there are siblings involved. Clearly, where the sperm or eggs from one donor are used to produce children to many different parents, there's immediately a serious problem of brothers and sisters being separated. Mr. Shigeta the Japanese millionaire from the last program wanted to have 1,000 children. But clearly, a sperm donor's sperm could have been used to father children to 1,000 different parties. The psychological damage to children coming from this is unimaginable. The Uniform Parentage Act of Washington intentionally breaks the ties between children and their biological family, by providing that sperm or egg donors can choose to be anonymous. Not only are children conceived by an anonymous donor cut off from knowing their parents, but, as I've pointed out, they often have tens to hundreds of half-brothers or sisters scattered across the planet or right in their own city. Intent-based parenthood is a threat not only to children placed with intended parents, as happens with surrogacy, but it's also a threat to every biological parent-child relationship. The state's asserting that it has power to overrule biology in deciding who the law recognises as the parent of a child. One case has already reached that conclusion in a most remarkable way. In the summer of 2019, US summer that is, the them before us, team filed what's called an amicus curiae brief. That's by someone who isn't a party to the case, but who has evidence which will assist the court in deciding the case. This case was before a New York court. The submissions from them before us were made on behalf of biological homosexual father Frank's nine-year-old twins. Frank and his former homosexual partner Joseph ...created Frank's twin children. Joseph's sister was the surrogate... ...and her egg was fertilised by Frank's sperm. She was the genetic mother of the twins... ...but she didn't have any interest... ...in having a parental relationship with her children. So legally, Joseph was the twins' biological uncle. Frank was the twins' biological father. He was their sole caregiver during their first seven years. These non-traditional relationships where parties won't commit to a marriage generally don't last nearly as long as marriages between a man and a woman. Frank and Joseph's relationship began to deteriorate after the birth of the twins, and then it ended. The men separated. In 2017, Joseph sued Frank for custody of the twins, Except for moving his children to Florida, an action found by the court to have been unauthorized, the court found no evidence that Frank was an unfit parent to his own biological children. But Joseph, the unbiological uncle, won custody. Changes to New York's parenting laws had made intent, not biology, the basis for being a legal parent. The court awarded Uncle Joe custody of the children of Frank, for crying out loud. Joseph's intent to parent overruled Frank's biological relationship to his children because of equality. Unfortunately, the US Supreme Court didn't give leave to appeal, and the children, who have since reported mistreatment by Joseph, are subject to a rotation of nannies to protect them from their uncle's alleged mistreatment but they remain primarily in Joseph's care. Intent-based parenting is not a good idea when we know that the biological connection is what children must have. Thanks for listening into this program, CYKIAE. If you missed it, you can catch up with it as a podcast on my CYKIAE, Spotify, Apple, Google, and many other podcast sites. Just look at my program details on Can's FM 89.1 for clickable links. I'm Paul. Don't miss my next program because you're going to love it. I want to thank my ghostwriter, without whom this program would definitely not have been possible, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could catch up with me at my church, the Gafcon Northern Hope Anglican Church at the Peace Lutheran College off Cowley Street, Camarunga. Just follow the signs some Sunday at 9am. If you liked this program, you should definitely listen in to my other explosive program, The Danger Zone, also available as a podcast on those same sites. Search Danger Zone, bracket DZ, close brackets.